We've been, I think this is either five, week five or, five or six of this series of, about surviving in the wilderness, wilderness survival. And as I studied this week, I, I just looked up, hey, what do they say is necessary for survival in the wilderness? And, and number one, they gave ten. One, build a fire. Fire's essential. Number two, craft a short-term shelter. Number three, I thought this should have been one, establish a hierarchy of priorities. I think we've done that. Build a fire. Build, so that should have been number one. Anyway, we talked about this last week. Find a clean water source. Find a, a located food source. I'm going to skip six, and we'll come back to it. Seven, stay calm and assess the situation. Eight, signal nearby search and rescue teams. Nine, test your bushcraft skills before you need them. In other words, if I was to end up in a wilderness, I have never tested my bushcraft skills. Y'all would probably find me dead four days later. So, Ten, use everything at your disposal. Now, number six, sandwiched in those is this one. Practice excellent hygiene because bacteria, parasites, and pathogens can enter the body through food and through open wounds. See, here's what I know about every survival show I've ever watched. When you're in the wilderness, you're going to get hurt in some way. You're going to have an injury. Some injuries are worse than others, but nevertheless... You're going to get hurt. And it's what you do in those moments when you experience the injury, experience the hurt, that it can leap me the difference between life and death. One of the wilderness first aid, tip, first aid tip was this. Hey, size it up. How, how bad is the wound? And how bad is it? Make it a priority. The second thing they say, when you find the wound, clean the wound, stop the bleeding, and dress the wound. Because here's the thing. You can read of countless injuries that people incurred, whether they were out hiking, camping, climbing in the wilderness. So, I mean, people just come across, they get hurt. So let's do something real quick, and please participate. I want you, now don't make it weird, I want you to look around the room. Now, don't make eye contact and just stare at somebody and become a stalker. But look around the room in the front to the left or right. Back, some of you are not doing it. Katie, look around. Look around. Man, look around. Make a look because I'm going to show you something. Come on, y'all, look around. Look around. Larry, look around. I know you've been, been in California for a week, and y'all just don't like... Never mind, let's go on. Um, here's what I know. Those people you looked at are a lot like you and a lot like myself, and meaning this, we become very good at hiding our hurt. All of us, we become very good at hiding our hurt. And see, here's the truth. In this life, whether you're in the woods, whether you're in the wilderness, in the kitchen, at home, at work, at school, or even at church, you're going to get hurt. It's just, it's just a fact of life. And it's what you do in that moment that will determine if the wound heals properly or sets up infection and gets worse. Let me say, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus... You too will get hurt. 
You will have a wilderness season where you get hurt emotionally, spiritually, mentally, sometimes all three. Jesus himself said this in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say, hey, if you become a follower of Jesus, you got a 50-50 shot at experiencing trouble. You may, no, he just, there, you will get hurt. You will experience trouble. How many know there is only one way in this life to avoid experiencing pain or hurt? You know what it is? Die. Die. You just die. Welcome to Watts Bar Community Church where we love to encourage people. <laughs> die. Seriously, though, if we could be honest just for a moment, and I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand. I just want you to take inventory inside. Anybody in this room ever been hurt? And if you say, well, I, what, what do you mean? Let me ask it this way. Anybody ever been misunderstood? Anybody ever felt depression just creep upon you? Anybody ever been lied about or lied to? Anybody ever had somebody break your confidence? You spoke to them, spoke them something in confidence, and it wound up all over the place. Anybody ever had your heart broken? Anybody ever walked through a, a serious illness? Been lonely or discouraged? Maybe you've been walked out, walked, walked out on by a spouse or a parent. Maybe you've been let down by a friend or even a church or pastor. What do you do when you find yourself in a wilderness of hurt? Because the culture we live in says this, hey, they hurt you, get them back. Or just I, I'm going to build a wall and you will never, I will never be able to get hurt uh, again. Come on. That, that's what our culture, just leave, just bail, just move on. But in Romans 8, Paul begins to compare the things that we go through here on this earth to future glory. Look what Paul says in Romans 8, 18. And I'm going to read this part from the Passion. Paul says, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. Paul's not saying, hey, that the hurt, the suffering you're dealing with is not real. He's not saying that it's not hard or difficult. He's not saying that what was said to you or done to you wasn't painful. He's just saying this, don't spend your time focusing on it. Don't fixate on it. A few later verses later, Paul poses this question in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? He says, is there anything in this universe that is able to separate me from the love of God? Then he answers the question, verse 37. He says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in the earth, nothing in this universe that can separate us from the love of Christ. Let me tell you, if I didn't believe that, 
I'd have bailed on this a long time ago. Because I've been through some stuff in my life. Anybody else? I mean, I was divorced by the age of 20. Uh, me and my wife lost a son at three days old. I've been hurt by pastors, been hurt by a church. I've been hurt by friends. In the span of three months, I watched my dad and my father-in-law both die. I watched my baby brother battle with a 20-plus-year addiction that almost cost him his life. I watched my mom try to pastor this church after my dad died, only to suffer a stroke and all but lose her eyesight. I watched my wife go through some things that we don't understand. And we still don't understand what's going on. And I know there are some of you that can say, Hey, Kelly, that doesn't even compare to what I've been through. And I get it. You're probably right. But here's what I'm saying. Life, yes, is hard at times. Yes, life can hit you out of nowhere where and hurt you. But I have to believe what Paul said in verse 28 of that chapter where he says, all things work together for the good of those who love him. This, in, in this wilderness season of my life, when I found myself hurt, when I found myself uh, or I've watched those I love get hurt, if I didn't really believe that when Paul said all things work together, if that all things didn't mean all things, the bad things, things I don't like, things I wish never would have happened, that he turns all those things for good, if I didn't really believe that, I wouldn't be here this Sunday. I'd be taking me a nap at the house. Can I be honest with you? But I have to remember when I'm hurt, when I'm walking through some things, when I'm facing something that I really wish I wasn't face, facing, I have to believe, hey, God said this, he will work all things for my good to those that love him. And I have to believe this. If it ain't good, he ain't done. He ain't done. And I know that's not correct grammar. But it all ain't ought to be in the dictionary, dadgummit. And so should dadgummit. But let's move on. Can we agree this world's broken? Come on. And there will be times when we walk through seasons of hurt, seasons of pain. And I'm going to be honest, most of those seasons, you won't be able to understand why. You'll beat yourself up trying to understand the why behind it. And that's why survival tip number one today, when you're hurt in the wilderness, know this. I may not be able to trace God, but I know that I can trust God. In other words, times, there's times in our life when we walk through, it's like, I don't see God. Where are you at? Where are you at, God? And it seems like he's not working. But make no mistake, just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not working in every area of your life. I had a friend that said this, David Gray, you say this. He said, listen, during a test, the teacher is always silent. So you may not be able to see God. But you can sure trust God. He is for you. Survival tip number two when you're the wilderness hurt. You must keep pressing on even when you're hurt physically. One of the things they'll tell you, hey, keep moving. If you sit still, you're dead. You die. 
There is no choice but to keep moving forward. And, and, and here's the thing. There, even if I'm hurt physically, I don't have the option of just sitting down and doing nothing. guy by the name Joseph Oldendorf, avid trail runner, he was running a trail in Washington's Olympic National Park on this remote trail called Duckabush River Trail. He was running. He slipped on some ice, and he said, I heard a snap. And he says, when I looked down at my ankle, I saw it flop to the side like it had become untethered. He said, when no cell phone service to call for help, he knew his only chance at survival was make it, to make it back to where he had, he had seen some fell, fellow trail runners earlier that day, and that was a little over five miles away. And because of his injury, he said, I knew my only option was to crawl. And he crawled for more than seven and a half hours, and over five miles he crawled before he found help. He said this in an interview. I didn't want my family to hear that I had died in the wilderness. Oldendorf knew this. Hey, despite my injuries, staying still is not an option. I've got to keep pressing forward. And Paul knew this. Look at what he said in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting with verse 24. Paul says, hey, five times I received uh, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Anybody want to hang out with Paul? He goes on. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. He says, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst. I have often gone without food. And I have been cold and I have been naked. And then Paul goes on to talk about some issues he's having with some churches that he's planted. And then if that weren't enough, in chapter 12, he says this, I've been given a thorn in the flesh. And I prayed and pleaded with God three times to take it away. Still there. Yet even after all that, look what Paul says. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Why? Because I know when I am weak, I am strong. Paul is saying, I've learned to keep pressing on even when I'm hurt physically. Because when I'm hurt physically, when I'm weak, I know his power, his strength will come into me. And that will make me strong. You want to survive, you got to learn to press on when you're hurt physically. Third tip, you must keep pressing on even when you're hurt emotionally. If you attend Watts Bar Community Church, I'm just going to lay it out there. You'll be hurt. There'll be a time when you attend, you, you'll be hurt. Uh, if you attend another church, you'll be hurt. If you don't attend church at all, you'll be hurt. It's just part of life. People let you down. Someone will break your trust. Someone will break your heart. And as much as I wish I could say it won't happen, I just know it will eventually happen. And most of you know that too. 
And it says that even when you're part of a thriving church, like Watts Bar Community Church is, even if you're showing up here on every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and you're serving, at some point you'll get hurt. Get this. You're going to be hurt by people that really do love God. You're going to be let down by people that really do love God. You're going to have your trust broken by people that really do love God. How do you know that, Kelly? Because people are people. And just because you're a follower of Jesus, that doesn't make you any less human. Are you following me? So that's why I say be careful when you put pastors, singers, other people up on these pedestals. Because they are just human beings. Well... Maybe some of you don't think you're human. And maybe some would agree. But here's the thing. You will be hurt. But also, you, yourself, you will hurt somebody. You will let somebody down. What kind of grace and mercy do you want shown to you when you do that? Are you following me? It's going to happen. Someone's going to disappoint you. Someone's going to hurt you. What you cannot allow happen when, that, when, when it does is this. You cannot allow bitterness to set in. Bitterness is deadly. It is like that parasite that enters a small infection, a small wound. Remember that, that tip we gave said, practice excellent hygiene. Bacteria, parasites, pathogens can enter the body through food and open wounds. Can I tell you, it doesn't have to be a big, gaping, open wound. A small cut that you think is nothing. A parasite can enter in. Something can enter in that. And before you know it, if gone untreated, it will become infected. And there have been cases where people have had to have limbs cut off because they didn't think something was significant, so they ignored it. That's bitterness. It's usually not the big things that get us. It's those small things that we think are no big deal. And we, we, they go untreated because we think they're no big deal. And bitterness, the parasite of bitterness sets in, comes through those open wounds. And here's some things you need to understand about bitterness. And I realize I've got a whole lot of notes for y'all today, but I believe these are vital. You need to understand this about bitterness. Bitterness has a root. It's got a root. What do we know about roots? One, you really can't see them. They're underneath, right? You, you can't see them there. That's the thing about people. We can look perfectly fine on the outside. But underneath, there's a root of bitterness growing. Another thing we know about roots is they absorb things. They absorb. They store up. And that's what we do when that bitter, root of bitterness is growing. We store up things that were said or done to us. And we can relive them over and over in our minds. Come on. Another thing we know about roots is they grow. So if you've been hurt, let down, uh, your trust betrayed, and in your mind, you relive it over and over and over again what was said or done to you, you may just have a root of bitterness 
growing. Paul knew this. Paul had been hurt, beaten. Well, we read it, talked about, trust broken. He knew that if he allowed those things from his past to take hold of his heart, it would stump his growth. And he would not be able to do what God had called him to. Paul looked at a group of people in Philippians 4. And he says, listen, I don't claim to have it all together. I'm not perfect. But he gives us something that we could all, man, really take to heart. He says this in Philippians 3, 13. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Paul says, yeah, things were said about me. Things were done to me. Lies were told about me. I had friends that abandoned me. But I'm not going to allow myself to focus on those things in the past. That's going to keep me stuck. He said, here's my focus. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I'm going to believe that God's going to make it plain to you. But look what Paul says in 16. But we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Paul said, the one sure way to lose ground in your walk with Christ is to keep holding on to those things in the past. Because your focus is there, not where you're going. And how many know you go in the direction your eyes are focused on? Paul says, listen, don't let anything keep you from the progress that you've already made. Don't look back. Don't look back. Some of you can't move forward because you can't let go of your past. You've got a root of bitterness and you've absorbed these things that were said or done to you. And you've stored them up. And that root of bitterness just keeps growing. Second thing you need to know about bitterness is this. Bitterness produces fruit. That's the thing about roots. They start underground where you can't see them. But eventually they grow and begin to produce fruit that everybody can see. Look at Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The Greek word uh, there that's translated as defile is the, is the word miano. Here's what it means to stain, contaminate, or pollute. Paul says, don't let a root of bitterness grow up that's going to stain, pollute, or contaminate. Some of you, if you're honest, you've got some relationships that have been stained, polluted, and contaminated with the fruit that bitterness has produced in your life. And what happens in the process is it starts getting really easy to see the worst in others because of that fruit of bitterness. Here's what I mean. Someone that hurt you or did you wrong, walked out on you, betrayed you, it's very easy for you to pick them apart. It's very easy for you to see every flaw in them, every wrong thing they say or every wrong thing they do. What does the fruit of bitterness look like? Here's what some of its fruit looks like. You feel justified 
and criticizing them. They did this to me. They said this to me. They did me wrong. They broke my trust. They walked out on me. I can talk about them all that I want. I can post about them uh, on social media all I want. If they didn't want me talking about them, they shouldn't have done that to me. And we justify. We justify our actions toward them because of the hurt that's placed upon us. Another fruit of bitterness is this. You love it when they fall. You might not say it out loud, but inside you're doing a happy dance. When you see them screw up, when you see them fall, when you see them blow it, you're like, karma, baby, yeah, that's right. You're getting what's yours. You're getting what you deserve. Come on, bring it. And inside you rejoice over them falling. That's a fruit of bitterness. Man, the other fruit of bitterness, I think this one is... The worst is this. You take others down with you. This is how that root of bitterness defiles, contaminates, because we get hurt. And in our hurt, we want everyone around us to know and see that the people that are in our circle, we want them to know the real side of the story or my side of the story. This is the real side of the story. And what we do, we force people, we force family, we force friends to take sides on the issue. Come on. And it rips friendships apart. It rips families apart. I've seen it rip churches apart because they say, hey, takes, we're, we're going to, I'm telling you here in about two to three months, when the, when, when the voting, all that politicians really take off, you're going to see it. If you don't agree with me, I hate you. Maybe basically, you're, you're then my enemy. If you don't agree with me, you're my enemy. That's what culture says. And the, the sad thing is, I'm not talking about those that don't, say they, they're followers of Jesus. I'm talking about people that call themselves follower of Jesus spewing venom. That wasn't even in my notes. Let's move on. Several years ago, U.S. News and World Report told a story about this seven eight or eight-year-old girl um, that she pulled her 180-pound dad out of a swimming pool and saved his life. They interviewed her and said, how did you, being so small, how did you do that? She said, oh, it was easy. I love my daddy. Her love for her dad gave her strength that she normally wouldn't have. How much do you love that bitterness? How much do you love that unforgiveness? How much do you love God? Because here's what I know. Whatever you love, whatever you put value on, is going to rise to the top every time. And I'm going to tell you, here's why I'm saying that. Because your love for God can empower you and give you strength to get past something that you never thought you'd get past. It can give you strength to forgive someone you never thought you would forgive. Love compels us. I'm telling you, when your motive is, is love, 
Your possibilities are amazing. Survival tip number four, and I'm getting ready to close. Suffering is inevitable, but misery is optional. Come on. How, how many know that person? Don't look to the left or right. They love to let everybody know how bad life is. I mean, suffering, it's not, you're going to suffer. But misery is totally optional. There's a lady that attended this church, and I won't embarrass her, embarrass her by calling her name. But Denise and some others have walked her through a diagnosis of cancer. We've walked her through having to go to treatment after treatment, watching it weakness. But if you didn't know it, you would never know that was going on in her life. Why? Because, yes, she's suffering, but she's not choosing to be miserable in it. Fifth and final survival tip. If I get Bubba because music seems to make people think I really am closing. You must learn when to cut something, and I'll add this, or someone off. You must learn when to cut something or someone off. Anybody heard of a guy named Aaron Ralston? His story was really brought into the line in, in, in a movie in 2010, I think it was, called 127 Hours. Here's what the articles uh, that I read said about Aaron. As an avid climber and adventurer, Aaron Ralston often imagined countless different scenarios of how he would save himself if something went wrong. But he never thought of the one thing that would end up making him famous after he cut off his own arm in 2003 to escape from 127 hours stuck in Utah's Blue John Canyon. See, Aaron knew the only way he was going to make it out of this life, the only he was going to survive this, was to cut off his own arm. He's a climber. He loved climbing. He's having this... Uh, if I cut off my arm, this is dear to me. I'm not going to be able to climb like I used to. And he had to make a decision. This one thing that is very dear to me is the same thing that is keeping me stuck here and may cost me my life. And there are some of you, there are some things you've held dear, some people, some unforgiveness you've held dear. And I'm telling you, if you do not cut it off, you will not leave the canyon that you're in right now. something there's someone you hold dear but now that thing has become the very thing that is keeping you stuck I'm telling you some of you you need to cut off the root of bitterness today you need to cut off somebody uh, somebody loose that has, has lived in your mind rent free for years so how do you kill cut off that root. Here's where, listen, you've got to be very honest and real because I'm going to ask you a question that you've got to ask yourself is this, with whom or what am I bitter at? I can't answer that for you. That's what you've got to answer. Who walked out on you? Who hurt you? Who broke your heart? Who am I bitter at? What am I bitter at? What moment happened? What, what, 
thing happened that caused the bitterness to start. Maybe it's someone that just gets under your skin. You don't even know why you don't like them, but you, you just know you don't. And so bitterness is kind of, when you see them coming, you're like, Maybe it's that person at work that, that takes all the credit of things that you've done. Maybe it's someone you used to be close to. You were great friends. Something happened. Things changed. They said something, did something, and you felt betrayed. Maybe it's a parent, mom, or dad. Here, here's a fact. Here, here's the thing. You may even be grown now, moved out of the house. could be for years, but you're still carrying bitterness toward them for something they did or didn't do. Maybe it's a spouse or ex-spouse. Let's get real. Maybe it's a church or a pastor. They let you down. They hurt you. The thing is, you've got to identify because we cannot deal with it if you don't identify it and own it. This is where I'm hurt. This is what I'm dealing with. Take a moment to identify it. Think about it. In fact, you know what? Let's do it. We didn't know this name. Close your eyes. And in your mind, ask God. Say, God, show me who or what I'm better. I believe if you ask that sincerely, he'll start bringing it to mind. Go ahead, ask him. All right. Now that you've identified the root, it's time to kill it. We're going to cut it off. We're going to do some surgery. So how do I do it? How do I kill it? One is this. You kill it with compassion. Ephesians 4, 31, 32 says this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. The New Living Translation says be tenderhearted toward one another. Can I tell you, almost always, whenever you find yourself bitter with someone, it's because you've allowed your heart to grow hard toward them callous toward them you can't empathize with them you can't feel for them and what you need to do if that's the case you need to begin to pray and ask God help me feel for them again help me to once again have compassion for them and I'll say this it's not going to happen overnight you're going to have to ask God daily second way to kill it kill it with forgiveness and this a big one. Go back to that scripture. Ephesians 31, 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, uh, any form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen to me closely. Forgiveness is not a suggestion. if you knew what they did to me if you knew what was said or done to me you wouldn't want to forgive them either you're right 
you're right. I've had things said about me, said, said to me, done to me that I did not want to forgive. But I, here's what I found. In my relationship with Jesus, it requires that I not live by my feelings, but I live by what God tells me to do. I, I've, I've come to find out forgiveness, my opinion doesn't matter much. But God's Word does. Kelly, how do I forgive them? How do I do that? I'm going to tell you it's a fair question, but Paul tells us, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us this, and this is a passage of Scripture you've probably heard. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Anybody heard that? The passion, it says it like this, don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. The Living Bible takes an interesting approach. It says, if you are angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. I don't hold a grudge. Well, let's look at what the definition of grudge is. Holding on to bitterness, anger, etc. for something that was said or done to you. Holding on to bitterness, anger, unforgiveness for something that was said or done to you. Maybe you do hold a grudge. And here's why it's important for you to recognize. Because what Paul says right after this is vital to whether you move forward in your journey with Christ or you stay stuck. He says, if you're angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. The King James Version says, don't give place to the devil. The Greek word that uh, is for place and foothold is the word tapas. Here's what it means. A place, any portion, space marked off, an inhabited place as a city, village, district, a place or chapter in a book, opportunity, power, occasion for acting. Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity. Don't give him a chapter in the book of your life that's been written by bitterness. The passion says, don't give the slanderous accuser, the devil, an opportunity to manipulate you. Here's the thing I know. We say this, hey, Jesus will meet you right where you are. Do you believe that? Well, let me tell you the opposite's true. The devil, Satan, he will meet you right where you are. He'll meet you in your bitterness. He'll meet you in your unforgiveness. He'll meet you in your anger. And he'll say, hey, that's right. You deserve to be angry. That's right. You deserve to stay bitter. And he will feed it and feed it. Don't give the devil an opportunity to manipulate you and keep you stuck. Because we hold on to things. And the person that we're angry at, uh, that we're not forgiving, it's not hurting them at all. I really am closing. But I'm going to tell you something. I really feel this, man. In Matthew 18, Jesus is teaching. And he gets down to verse 21. And Peter, hey, 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 Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Seven times? I think Peter thought, I'm being generous. Seven times? Jesus, uh, not quite. 
try 70 times 7. And Jesus goes on from that point to tell this story about this king that wanted to settle some accounts. He had some people that owed him money, and he wanted to start with those that owed him the most. And he starts with a man that owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Can we say that's a lot? Thank you. The man could not afford to pay back 10,000 bags of gold. So the king said, order him, said, said, okay, so you, your wife, your children, you're going to be sold to repay the debt. The man fell to his knees and began to beg the king, give me more time. The king took pity on the man, canceled, forgave the entire debt, 10,000 bags of gold. forgiven so much then leaves there and goes and finds another man that owes him 100 silver coins and he grabs the man the Bible says and begins to demand that the man pay him back the servant fell to his knees and begged for more time but the man refused and had the man thrown in jail until he could repay the debt of the 100 silver coins well, someone ends up going to tell the king, hey, you remember that man that you forgave the huge debt? He went and found somebody that owed him pennies. And now that guy's in prison. Now look what Jesus says happened, Matthew 18, 32, 35. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Here's what I know about me personally. No matter how bad I've been hurt by someone, no matter how much somebody has sinned against me, it does not even compare to the weight of my sin that God forgave me of. Are you hearing me? My sin that I've been forgiven of far outweighs anybody's sin against me every time. Paul says, forgive those that hurt you just as God forgave you. Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. You will get hurt. But what you do with that will determine the quality of your life. Stand with me across this room. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to jump right in because I know I've gone a little long today. But I feel like this is much needed. This is for you to be honest. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you would be honest, you'd say, you know what, Pastor? After hearing you, I see I've got some bitterness, some unforgiveness in me from somebody that did something to me, somebody that hurt me, somebody that betrayed me, somebody that should have been there for me when I needed them most. And I've allowed a root of bitterness to grow and unforgiveness. And I don't want to forgive them if I'm being honest. But I'm tired of carrying this weight around. And I need Jesus to come and help me forgive 
kill this bitterness in me. That you need to be honest, just raise your hand. Come on. Oh, man. All over the place. Come on. Put your hand down for the middle. Because here's what I'm going to do, man. This is going to be tough. Prayer team, come on up. Come on up. Come on up. Get up here now. 